0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Olga Mack. Olga is an award-winning general counsel, startup advisor, and the CEO of Parley Pro, a modern, collaborative contract lifestyle management platform. Olga is a public speaker giving talks at events such as the TEDx San Francisco and the widely publicized author. She is a proudly outspoken advocate for professional women, having founded several organizations to help place women in leadership and board service roles. So a very warm welcome, Olga.
1: Hi, Rob. It's fantastic to be here. I'm so glad we're finally talking.
0: Indeed. Me and you both. Um, and we were just saying off air, we were having a bit of a joke about suits and our uh, our customary icebreaker question on the Legally Speaking podcast is, on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality series Suits in terms of its reality on the scale of one to 10?
1: Oh, that's, I, that, that's a very interesting question. Look, um, I love the show. And um, I don't like many shows. I don't have time to watch many shows. It's one of the few shows that I watched. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think there are lots of stories that I've seen in my life as a tech lawyer, um, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So in my, in my books, um, you know, rating the show is a little bit like describing a woman in terms of pounds and height. It's, it, it very much objectifies the point. Um, So I will will not rate the show. I think in terms of how realistic it is, I think it's fantastic. I do have a story how I actually started watching it. I did not watch it from the beginning. I came to it toward the end and somehow I completely missed the show, mostly probably because I was too busy at work building the legal department at the time. And my CEO kept referring to me as Harvey. He did it a few (laughs) times and, um, I, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm hallucinating. And then I, I realized that he does indeed, keep, you know, keeps calling me Harvey. Um, and then I finally turned around and said, what the heck? I'm Olga. I'm no Harvey. Brilliant. <laughs> <We're laughs> and and he, he looked at me and he said, well, you remind me of Harvey a lot. And I said, well, who so the heck is Harvey? And why do I remind you of Harvey? And so this is where I got a lecture from my CEO that maybe I should get a life and watch some, you know, TV sometimes. And I did. I, my husband and I and I were watching a movie and binging on this movie. I'm married to a fellow in-house lawyer as well. And I, I absolutely loved it. I think it's a fantastic uh, series. Yes, there are parts of it that are not very realistic. And yes, there are parts of it that are so realistic that I I remember dealing with it. Uh, and I enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, we we watched it a couple of times. I think it's a fantastic show. It's very entertaining. And sometimes you don't have to be too realistic to be too entertaining. For that reason, I love the show.
0: Brilliant. And I love that little story. So thanks for sharing that. And we've got so much we need to get through in such a short space of time to today. But let's um let's start at the beginning. Tell our listeners a little bit about your sort of family background, upbringing, and early career. Well.
1: You know, sparing the really long details, the upshot of it, I was born in Ukraine and immigrated to the United States in the midst of Silicon Valley when I was a teenager, about 12 or 13. And my life completely changed. And I've seen technology uh, change my life, my family's life, you know, lives of people around me. My parents are engineers. I had a lot of pressure to become an engineer. I took most science and math and most lawyers I know. But my my passion has always been is to help and be part of technology as it affects our lives, as it affects our society, as it affects our careers. And so I knew very early on that I would go to law school, although it did start a little bit as a joke that I would go to law school because I didn't speak English. And there is this part about me where I like telling people answers that will elicit reaction. And so people would ask me, Olga, what would you want to be when you grow up when I didn't speak English? And with a straight face, I would tell them that I would be a lawyer. Um, and they would not know what to do with me because you know English, speaking English and having a very great command of English is, is absolutely a prerequisite of being a fantastic lawyer. Um, and so it was very interesting to see people dance around my answer. But eventually I, you know, I ended up going to law school because I very much care about how technology affects our lives and careers and, uh, and society. And so I am what you would describe a tech lawyer by design. Uh, and I spent significant amount of time being a technology lawyer, almost for 15 years, both in big law and a Fortune 500 company and numerous free IPO startups. And now I am a tech CEO um, helping the future of law. So uh, basically, a tech lawyer by design turned into tech CEO uh, leading the
0: future of law. Brilliant. And you have achieved so much in your career. And that gently leads us on very nicely to Parley Pro, where I mentioned at the top, you are now the the CEO, which I believe is a a contract um, lifestyle management platform pioneering online negotiation technology. But tell us um, how you came about this role and, and what your role with them involves.
1: So uh, Pro is a highly collaborative, easy-to-use contract lifecycle management platform. We help to create, negotiate, and manage contracts very collaboratively, transparently. And we have indeed pioneered the technology of digital negotiation. Um, I had no plans of becoming a CEO. I was a very happy lawyer. Uh, when uh, I uh, was presented with this opportunity, the the, the short summary of it, of it is that Parley Pro was happily existing uh, before I came along for the, about five years. I'm not the founder of Parley Pro. The two founders have identified me as a potential candidate about four years prior to me being approached. They did not let me know about it. They, I would say, quietly followed me everywhere, I guess, because I I show up in a number of forms in in law and technology. Uh, They were what I affectionately call cyber-stalking me. And uh, at some point, about a year and a half ago, their investors had approached me and asked me if I would be interested to consider the role of CEO. Uh, Because I'm the former general counsel, because I've always been on the cutting edge of technology and because I love conversations about the future of law and have been having them for well over a decade in numerous forums, including ACC, including the Basel Law and numerous other places. I initially, I'll be honest, I was a very happy general counsel. I really enjoy building legal departments and being impactful on the organization on the legal side. And uh, it took me about five or six months to say yes. And primarily the reason I said yes are, one, is a product. I tested drove the product and I realized that I would have been a customer. I absolutely love the team. That was my reason number two. And number three, and it only took me 15 years to realize it that this thing about the future of law, the thing that I was doing during the weekends and nights the thing that I thought was really more of a hobby actually could be my job. And I'm not really sure why it only took me 15 years to realize it. And I took another half a year to really give it another thought. Um, And I thought I was really afraid to make a a bad career move, so to speak. But in retrospect, I probably should have done it sooner. And I should have really transitioned from this hobby I had on the side to a more full-time job much, much sooner. Having said that, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I, I, I at least had some wisdom to work through the issue and really have enjoyed the last a little over a year on a job. It's been a fantastic year.
0: Brilliant. And uh, thanks so much again for, for kind of outlining that. And it's great that you eventually followed your passions. And just to lead on from that, you're, you're very big on le- legal innovation. How do you think sort of embracing technology will advance and change the legal profession?
1: That's a very good question. You know, I, 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 at a high level, you know, when you take some of the smartest people I know, uh, some of the hardworking pers- people with perseverance, grit, and interest to have an impact are lawyers. Uh, yeah, mania was, and myself included, I practiced for about 15 years, uh, stuck in, in not necessarily activities on a daily basis. That are high impact and innovation, not just technology, but innovation to legal practice combined with cutting edge technology, combined with improved processes, will really help lawyers to have a much higher impact, a much more exciting lifestyle, and really more satisfied customers. I think it is a little, Unfortunate to have very high IQ and EQ of an individuals to spend their days in, in routine tasks. People who are attracted to law, they're usually attracted to see change in society and organization. They're very intelligent, highly analytical and their time and energy should be spent and optimized for much higher impact. And so I see the technology as an opportunity, an innovation, as an opportunity to allow professionals, not just lawyers, but definitely lawyers, to practice what people describe on top of their license, and most importantly, have a much greater impact. And I think in the process, we will have a much more inclusive legal profession, and we will have much more satisfied. It is very well documented that many lawyers are not satisfied with their career. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that their daily activities are not necessarily on top of their license.
0: Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And and I hope the theme there around inclusivity and more positive and improving overall mental health and all of those things that are very sort of widely talked about in the legal profession. You know, this all does help. And moving on, you're, you're very passionate about disruptive technologies like blockchain and AI, having served as the vice president of strategy at Quantstamp, uh, the first decentralized security auditing blockchain platform. Tell us a bit about that work you, you did there.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of technology. I, as you know, I went to law school uh, to be a technology lawyer first. I, I pretty much uh, focused on security, privacy and intellectual property and, you know, sort of was coasting through everything else. I do consider myself a technologist first. And I've been on the cutting edge of technology with many technologies, including SaaS, including AI and including blockchain. I think um, those are fantastic ways uh, to really kind of get a glimpse of the future and having a proficiency, what technology is capable of really gives you an ability to imagine what's possible. Um, You know, I'm I'm a trained artist. I have about seven years of art training, and experimenting with technology is a little bit like experimenting with different paints and pastels and, and colors and, and various other tools. Those are tools. Much of it is a backend technology, meaning most people will not see or touch this technology. They will only experience it as an improvement in their life. And so for those of us who are builders and creators and doers, it's important to really understand the tools just like it is important for an artist to understand the what's possible to do with acrylic, for example, and so I love being on the cutting edge of, of technology and really see what's possible, what 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 can be done with various technologies. I did it with SaaS, I did it with AI, and I also did it with blockchain. And I absolutely enjoyed the time of learning about the blockchain and building parts of the ecosystem. I do think that the best way to learn a technology is by doing. There are a number of fantastic courses about blockchain and I'm happy to recommend them. But I really think that you gain a different insight by by actually surrounding yourself by technologies and solving problems together. So at Quantstamp, I was surrounded by over uh, two dozens of PhDs from University of Waterloo, Stanford, Berkeley, MIT. And we were solving security of smart contract problems. So you can imagine that I was probably the biggest underachiever in the room in terms of education. And very few people would describe me this way unless you put me in the context of 24 PhDs or so. Um, (laughs) And and you learn quite a lot in the process. You know, when you grapple with with technology uh, challenges, with society challenges, with legal challenges, and you try to put it all together to really move uh, the needle forward, you get a new appreciation uh, for this technology, uh, specifically, I was focused on smart contracts, which is the application of blockchain. And, uh, the number one question many lawyers ask do I need to learn how to program or how to write smart contracts? And, you know, usually my answer is along the lines that need is a very strong word. First of all, you know, if you're a member of a bar, you know, in any country, you went to law school, chances are you're intelligent enough to write a, a very simple smart contract you know, learning how to write a simple, smart contract, you will really be able to give a much better legal advice in the same way as people who provide privacy or security legal advice. They usually are pretty proficient in mapping out, you know, the flow of data, for example. Uh, But do you need to? No, you don't need to. But having an ability to really read a basic one and have appreciation for technology is very helpful and really allows you to to see what's possible and how to transform your practice. And most importantly, what skills you need to acquire today so that your practice is ready for the demands of tomorrow.
0: Brilliant. Okay. And sticking with with, with blockchain, as we kind of move on to everything else you're involved with, um, you spoke about blockchain when you gave uh, a talk at the TEDx San Francisco. You do a wide range of public speaking. How did you get into this? And what's your favorite thing about the speaking? What do you most enjoy?
1: That's a really good question. You know, uh, so at TEDx San Francisco, I spoke about the power of smart contracts. Um, as I just mentioned, and I make no secrets about it, uh, smart contracts is my favorite application of blockchain. And uh, it is not because that I think they're entirely legal. Uh, you know, smart contracts are, you know, many joke and neither smart nor contracts. They're really pieces of code that store information, verify the accuracy of that information and then self-execute kind of like a vending machine, right? So the vending machine stores that uh, if you put it a dollar, a euro or some other currency, you get a snack of choice. You put that currency, that amount. The, the machine verifies that it's accurate, and then self-executing moment, you get a snack of choice. So there is, if you, you can imagine, a Venn diagram. There is an overlap between smart contracts and legal contracts, but you know it's a relatively small overlap. The reason I like smart contracts is because I think they will transform uh, the way uh, we we do business. They're powerful because they incorporate the if-then logic that really makes the business world, the legal world, go round. And, and, and really, that's where they become powerful. And um, as this nascent, relatively nascent technology becomes more mature and it will take a little bit of time, we will rethink the way we conduct business, the way we live, the way we practice law, in the same way as we have completely changed the way we, we conduct business and, and live our lives after internet. So it's a, it's a it's a very, very powerful technology. Now um, I, I really uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to have been invited to speak to San Francisco TEDx, which is one of the sort of more selective TEDxes and really known about focusing on the cutting edge of technology. And this is obviously not the first time I've spoken. I've spoken at numerous other places and forums, including South by Southwest and other places that are um, fairly selective. But I, I like this platform because, one, I'm, I, I love TEDx, a uh, TED platform. I think uh, I like the initiative of spreading the, the ideas worth, worth sharing. I also really enjoy preparing to deliver TEDx. I joke that preparing a TEDx talk is a little bit like preparing for a marathon. And it's not, it, it was not the first time I've publicly spoken. I've been speaking publicly for years now. But preparing for TEDx is a sort of a unique opportunity to uh, persevere through this challenge and 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 become more excellent in the process. Uh, but as a general matter, look, I I'm a lawyer, just just you know, just like many of your listeners. And what this practically means is that I have really three skills: I can read, write, and speak or argue. Um, I have perfected those kindergarten skills, and so I do enjoy public speaking to the extent I can influence the future of law and the direction of the society and ultimately have a wider dialogue about things that I think will be instrumental to make sure that you know our society and and our lives are better in our lifetime and so I do think that public speaking, especially through platform like or TEDx, allow you to have a wider conversation. Many people are still even to this day I've recorded it almost two years ago. many people all over the world still contact me and uh, we're still having this conversation at scale about the impact of smart contracts and my talk has focused on sort of this transformation and what's possible and I am really excited to see how many businesses it inspired and how many initiatives uh, have, uh, have come to, uh, to, to this world because of it. And so that's why I like public speaking, because it's really an opportunity to have a conversation outside of your network and really inspire others to, to do something different. Brilliant.
0: And another platform that you and I share many mutual connections around the world and allows a voice is, is LinkedIn. And, you know, that brings together so many people. And you've recently been part of a book um, called Networked. Um, Shay Robottom, who's also been a guest of ours on the show, uh, I believe wrote the forward as well. The book is about 20 women lawyers overcoming the combines of the current sort of COVID-19 pandemic to create sort of connections, build businesses. Tell us how this all came about and, you know, what valuable connections you have gained through LinkedIn.
1: I've been a very active participant on LinkedIn well before pandemic. Um, And I've, I've joined LinkedIn fairly early and have enjoyed the platform and exchange of ideas. I've shared a lot of original content and uh, republished some of the content from the above the law and ACC, Newsweek, and Bloomberg there as well. And really used it, uh, to meet like-minded people and not so like-minded people to learn from them, to have conversations a lot of times about technology and the future of law. So I, I'm, I'm an early adopter of LinkedIn and, um, and a huge fan. And really grateful for the opportunities uh, LinkedIn has given me throughout the years. During the pandemic, I I saw a lot of other professionals, many lawyers, to discover what I thought was pretty obvious, the power of LinkedIn for for now uh, almost a decade. And uh, LinkedIn became a little bit more of an exciting place. Uh, where other lawyers have uh, have come in and publicly started contributing. It is true that many lawyers, um, even today, and definitely until pandemic, were largely observers or lurkers on LinkedIn and did not really participate. I think there is still a little bit of reluctance. Um, many lawyers, when I ask them why why they're not active on LinkedIn. Usually after they tell me that they read my content and I really love it, and I tell them that well they never liked my post or commented, um, they explain to me that they're reluctant to like or to comment because that would look like an endorsement. I tell them that they overthink the whole point of social media. But having said that, this is a very common tendency among lawyers, definitely in the United States and Europe, uh, to overthink the participation on on LinkedIn, but during the pandemic, uh, I found myself uh, to be surrounded by more lawyers who are like-minded and and really see the power of this platform. And somehow through kind of one way or another, because I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, um, I was introduced to the group of, of women who attorneys who are in various practices. Uh, many in private parts. some of them are in-house, some in government, who also kind of saw the potential of LinkedIn. And together, we supported each other through uh, the pandemic and to kind of find the good conversations and to really uh, be there for each other. Many of these women I've never met. And so uh, there are many of them are in the United States. I think a few of them outside, they are from you know, many states in the United States, um so none of them I ever met. They have different practices, they're from different walks of life. Uh, some of them, you know, politically on the same page and some of them are not. So very, very different group of women. And we have found ourselves in the middle of this conversation, both through sort of private chat and public conversations throughout posts. And this made pandemic a much more enjoyable experience where we essentially provided a support group for each other. And so Network is is the was born as, as a story of how we supported each other and grew through this process and really found the upside of COVID. And so I, I don't remember exactly how I came to it and who exactly invited me into Network. But suffice it to say, whomever I did it, I'm really grateful for the opportunity uh, to be part of not only amazing lawyers, Uh, who uh, make an impact, but also those lawyers that uh, embrace social media, which is a very important communication method in 21st century.
0: Well said. And uh, and it's worth pointing out the book is available on Amazon. It's absolutely fantastic. So I would encourage our listeners to check it out. And you are a huge advocate for professional women and women in leadership roles and founded the Women Serve on Boards movement. Um, I believe you successfully persuaded a dozen Fortune 500 companies to, to recruit their first female directors, which is a brilliant achievement. What's the situation like regarding the number of women in leadership roles and on corporate boards of directors? And how far has it come and how much further does it still need to go?
1: Yeah, my my journey to uh, women serve on boards uh, was when I became a general counsel. I found myself to be the only person in the boardroom uh, who is a woman, and in many events, I found myself uh, to be also the only woman. And so, ultimately, through reflection, I do think that the boardroom where it starts and where the the tone is set from the top. And um, I I was compelled to start a social media campaign. Uh, which is where I learned uh, the extent of what's possible on social media. It was specifically Twitter, to some extent LinkedIn campaign, and um, I was able to convince about 12 Fortune 500 companies uh, to um, find their first female director. When I was done with that, I was a little proud of myself, but I also realized that this was not really moving the needle fast enough, um, and I wanted to see change at scale which is the reason why I was involved in drafting of SB 826, which is a law in California that requires public companies doing business in California to find one to three directors that are women, their boards. Uh, I was advocating, I was drafting, I was testifying, and I also made sure that Governor Brown uh, signed this law. This law had a huge impact on, for many reasons, for many levels. Uh, one is because California is an important state, and it really affects companies that are not necessarily incorporated in California, and I'm very proud of this fact. Um, and um, also, uh, it really normalized the conversation about lack of women uh, in leadership and boardroom. And I, I am really proud of the fact that I was able to advance this conversation from point A to point B. And numerous others, very powerful institutions and individuals are now continuing this movement. And it really makes me happy to see it go forward. But the biggest thing that I'm really proud of um, is that now um, I see young women who graduate from college. And they start planning their boardroom journey after college. They, they may realize that maybe getting to be a director of a Fortune 500 company will take a few steps, and they start planning it early. And so what I'd like to say is that SBA26, which is model after laws in Europe, really has given girls and women an ability to dream about things that they were not able or didn't even think of dreaming before. And, and that makes me uh, incredibly proud Of what SB 826 has um, accomplished. And then maybe on the one more note, this law has been extended recently to require people of color. And that was my big argument when I testified because some people have argued that crafting law around women is a little too narrow and not enough to reflect the diversity of thought in the world. And I completely agree with that. I do think that because women is a, is more than 50% of the population, is a great place to start and really open a conversation uh, to a diversity of thought of origin and, and gender and, and race and other uh, things that matter. So um, I'm incredibly pr- uh, proud of this journey. I'm even more proud of the fact that, um, you know, what started out as sort of Olga was, the, you know, one of the few advocates, of you know, to lots of people adapting it and it's been very satisfying to go from you know um, a person who is maybe somewhat crazy and trying to make this work to become completely normal uh, and all of that happening in my lifetime and other people are adapting it as their cause so incredibly proud of it i've written a book about how to get on corporate boards to demystify this process for all professionals not just women and I really am excited about the future of other people putting the work to solve this problem.
0: Brilliant. I'm really well said, and long may that continue. And as we look to, to wrap up, I do just want to ask because you also co-founded Sun Law, um, which again dedicated to preparing female in-house attorneys to become general counsels, legal leaders, and wise to help female law firm partners become rainmakers, you know, which is fantastic. Tell us a bit about the work these organisations do and the issues they're trying to address.
1: Yeah, so SunLaw is very much um, we ha- is uh, focusing on, on helping women to advance to leadership, to legal leadership in house, and to really make this transition from a senior lawyer. To um, to general counsel or legal leader at a bigger company because you know it, it's it's actually it's a it's a big change when you make that career change and you don't always have the support you need or network you need to really move forward so uh, to some extent um, you know this group is 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 very much like the group you know that I've been part of during COVID on LinkedIn. It's number of senior women in-house supporting each other. It was started a few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, um, myself and four other co-founders. And it was an informal network that grew up to be quite large. Um, And at some point, you know, when we started the network, we agreed on what I call George Washington principle, which is the leadership has to change every, you know, four to two to four years to allow other ideas to flow and to allow uh, the, the opportunities and visibilities for other women. So when we founded this network and uh, and it was very apparent that we were addressing the need for senior women in the house, uh, we agreed on this principle and we took the network quite far. And at some point we had a conversation that we needed to have to change of leadership, to really bring I uh, new leadership and change the direction to formalize Sun Law. And so we, we found a group of women who are now taking Sun Law into new direction. Uh, it is now a nonprofit. It's a little bit more formalized and uh, it is well run. And it is still to this day very much true to the mission of helping senior lawyers, women to in house to advance their careers. I'm very supportive of the organization. I was, I was very active of uh, finding replacement for leadership. Uh, I work very closely with law leadership and all same, similarly with WISE as well. I'm not in day-to-day operations of either organization, uh, but I'm very much supportive of the mission and uh, very much, I think that they're doing a lot of service uh, to help women to transition to, um, to leadership roles in-house and also leadership roles in private practice uh, with respect to wise so i'm not running them but i i'm very supportive and spend quite a lot of time helping and advocating and bringing visibility to both of the causes
0: and that just really typifies the person you are in terms of always happy to help and and, and give back and we must sort of, you know, look to to sort of close here. I'd love to talk for, for for much longer, but if people want to to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today, what's the best platform for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any web links or your relevant social media, which we'll also share with your episode.
1: Absolutely. If you want to learn more about Carly Pro, it's com. It's full of all kinds of resources and available professionals to help you. If you would like to connect with me directly, the best place to do it is on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive. I visit there quite often. I share ideas through my my posts and I try to be somewhat active on DMs. Um, I do receive quite a lot of DMs and it's actually really hard to to answer them all, especially because I think LinkedIn DM function can be improved a little bit to help me, uh, to give me better tools to, uh, to manage my inbox. But um, that is a place where I'm very active and look forward to connecting with, with your listeners, Rob.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us, Olga. We've been delighted to finally have you on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, wishing you lots of continued success with your career and wider pursuits. Um, but from all of us on the of the Speaking podcast, thanks so much. But for now, over and out. Thank you, Rob.
1: The pleasure was all oh mine.